Come on. All right, if you got a Bible, go to Acts chapter 20. We've been in this series on the book of Acts. We've been talking about knowing who we are in Christ. And so I want to title this message, How to Beat the Enemy That's Beating You. How to Beat the Enemy That's Beating You. Paul the Apostle had some enemies. He had some, I mean, he had people who just hated him. They wanted to kill him everywhere he went and preached. They would say, you're not good enough. You're unqualified. You got a bad past. We know about you. You're, you're, not, you're not a good preacher. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And yet Paul just kept on winning. All I do is win, win, win. Paul just had this mentality. He had a beat. I need a beat behind me. I need, like he was just, it's like he had his AirPods in. He was locked in. He was going to the gym every day. No one could stop him. He was getting stronger. He was getting bigger. And in Acts 20, verse 24, he says, none of these things move me. In other words, Paul said, you can't stop the purpose and the plan that God has on my life. I need some help this morning. Lester, would you come up here? I want you to stand. This is Lester. He's a mighty man of God. Used to be MMA, professional fighter. I'm not about to pick a fight with him, but Lester, I want you to just face that camera. Come on, you're gonna be Paul the Apostle and just kind of get in a fighter stance. There you go. I need a couple of guys who are ready to fight Lester this morning. I just get, but I need like four guys. I want you to come and just put your hands against Lester's shoulders. Because this is where Paul was at. Yeah, 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 I need maybe one or two more, maybe three or four more. And, and, and I want you to imagine with me like, you know, your favorite action movie, whatever it is, where the guy is going in and he's gotta take down all of these bad guys. All of these bad guys. Make sure you get a close-up shot of Lester's face. Lester, show him your face. He's serious. You can't stop Lester. You can't, somebody say, you can't stop me. See, Paul said none of these things move me. Every single one of these guys that was coming after Paul was another reason to try to get him to throw in the towel. Every person that was coming against Paul was saying, you can't. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. You're too old. You're washed up. Nobody likes your sermons. Everybody's against you, Paul. But Paul was driven. He said, none of these things move me. He said, I'm going to finish my race with joy. I'm going to finish my race not resentful. I'm not going to finish my race bitter at the people who didn't show up for me. I'm not going to finish my race angry, throwing in the towel, barely making it. No, I'm going to finish with joy. Somebody say finish with joy. Finish with joy. These guys couldn't stop Paul. They couldn't stop him. He was driven. In fact, in, in chapter 21, they begged Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. But he said, I'm going. Somebody say, I'm going. See, Paul knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. He knew who he was called to be. He knew that there was haters. He knew there was critics. He knew he had a bad past. He knew he wasn't perfect, but he also knew who lived inside him. Can I tell you, there's an enemy that's coming for your purpose. There's an enemy that's coming for your joy. There's an enemy that's trying to stop you from showing up to church. There's an enemy that wants to stop you being a dad, stop you being a husband, stop you being a mom, stop you being who God's called you to be. But when you make a decision to say, none of these things move me. You see, the battle is fought in here before it's fought out here. The battle is fought in here. It's in his heart. It's in his mind. He knows if I can win on the inside, I can win on the outside. If I can win, if I can beat the enemy in here, I can beat the enemy out here. I'm preaching before I'm preaching right now. Somebody say, none of these things move me. So Paul kept going. He kept going. He went to Jerusalem. 
And if you read Acts 21, I'm going to summarize it for you. There was an entire crowd that came against Paul. They literally attacked him right inside the temple. They shoved him outside the temple and they literally locked the gates so he couldn't call out sanctuary. They knew if he could get in the temple, he could have safety. But they pushed him outside the temple, locked the gate, said, you aren't getting sanctuary. We're killing you today. This whole crowd, this mob, this riot formed. And in Acts 22, Paul began to preach to the crowd. As they're getting ready to kill him, the Roman centurions, they surround Paul. They, they put him literally in handcuffs. They lock him up. But he says, let me say a word to the crowd. Let me tell them who I am. Let me, you need to tell some people who you really are. You need to tell some people who God really is inside you. So Paul stands on the steps of the temple. As a crowd is ready to kill him, as Roman centurions are holding him back, got him in chains, he begins to declare, I was a religious man like you. I was legalistic. I was bound to the law until Jesus opened my eyes. Amazing grace. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was in my works, but now I'm in his finished work on the cross. He was finding his grace. And he began to preach on those steps. And here's where I want to get to this morning. In verse 22 of Acts 22. They listened to him until he finally said, God's salvation is not just for the Jews, it's for every single person in the world. It's for boys and girls, moms and dads, Greeks and Americans and Africans in every country. God gave his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And at that, they all began to rush him to kill him. They cried out, they said, off with his head. They threw dust in the air. They began to attack Paul and they brought Paul into the inner torture chamber that he should be interrogated under scourging. They stretched his arms to the left and to the right, his legs, they stretched out. We're not going to do this illustration this morning, but they began to torture Paul. And I wanna stop right there. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, give these guys a big hand. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us on this Labor Day weekend. God, I pray, Lord, for any person who came in here today tortured by the enemy tortured in their mind, tortured in their marriage, tortured by their dreams, tortured by disappointment, discouragement. Anyone who came in here today just confused, tortured by anxiety, stress about the future, tortured by shame about their past mistakes, regrets, just hearing it over and over, tortured by overanalyzing conversations, second-guessing decisions, all kinds of things that have just been stealing their sleep, stealing their peace. I pray today, God, that we would beat the enemy that's been beating us, that today we would walk out of this place with victory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, everybody said, amen. So growing up, we had movie nights, and sometimes the boys got to choose the movie, and sometimes my older sisters got to choose the movie, and we had to watch the movie that they chose. And so they chose this one movie called Princess Bride. And if you grew up in the early 90s, you might remember Princess Bride. It was a movie. It was about this guy who loved this girl. And he goes through all these great, like, crazy things to try to prove how much he loves her and to show her that he is her true uh, husband. And, and so he literally goes through torture for his bride. He goes through torture. He's willing to go through torture. Did you know there was someone who was willing to go through torture for his bride? So much that he would lay down his life for you and for me. But in the movie, as I'm watching this man go through torture, the whole goal of the torture is to get in his head. And he's in this torture chamber. 
And when I was reading this in Acts 22, where they brought Paul into the torture chamber, I couldn't help but think about Princess Bride. Then I started thinking about Jack Bauer from 24. If you ever watched the show 24, it was like a 2005 show back in the day. But this show, Jack Bauer, he worked for the CIA, and he would sit down and he would interrogate terrorists, right? And he got crazy sometimes. And we were like, I don't know if he should be doing this. And this is not good, but he's going to stop the terrorists from making terrorist attacks on America. And so he's sitting across the table. And as I'm reading Acts 22, I'm thinking about how these guys, they're interrogating Paul. They're shaking their fists. They're slapping him in the face. They're stretching his arms out. They are beating him black and blue. And then I started thinking about the chambers, not in the Roman Empire, but the chambers in my mind. See, this was a torture chamber. The Bible says that your mind is a chamber. It is the space in which decisions are made. It's the space in which we analyze and think through. Our As a man thinketh in, in his thought chamber, so he lives out here. In medical uh, uh, science, they say that your heart has four chambers. That there's chambers in your heart in which the blood flows. And when those chambers are clogged up, when those chambers are, are, are out of whack, that's when a person loses their life. And so it's important that we pay attention to the chambers of our mind and our heart. While I was reading this, I started thinking about how there is a torture that's happening for so many believers, and it's not happening out here, it's happening in here. It's not what people are doing to you, it's what you're doing to yourself. That there is an internal torture that's happening for so many people. I've heard the term echo chamber, which just means you're surrounded by people who think exactly like you, say things that you say, and preach what you preach, and, and you all believe the same thing. But I want you to think about the torture chamber. The torture chamber in, in your mind and your heart is a constant restlessness, a constant agony, a constant shaming mechanism going on. I should have done things better. I could have handled that better. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? And we live in the torture chamber of our minds and our hearts. This is why Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else. Guard your thoughts above all else. For out of your mind, out of your heart, flows the issues of life. If you, if you lose in here, you lose out here. But if you're losing out here, you can still win in here. And if you win in here, eventually you'll begin to win out here. Everything we do is fought on the battlefield of our mind and our heart. And why is this important? Why is this connected to Acts? Because Paul would go on to write books like Philippians, and he would talk about learning to rejoice even when you feel like life is terrible. Learning to think on good thoughts even when you're surrounded by bad situations. Because Paul realized the victory is first won in here. If I'm gonna win out here, I've gotta win in here. None of these things move me. Your mind and your heart are a chamber. My question is, what's going on in the chamber of your mind and heart? Is it good or is it bad? You know, I, someone sent me this GIF, not like G-I-F-T, but like G-I-F, a GIF. They sent me a GIF, and they were, because I was talking about how I messed up, so I missed something up. Have you ever felt like this before, where you're just hitting your head over and over and over, you're like, ah, oh, and you feel like you just, oh my goodness, if I could go back and change that. If I could go back and fix that, and we live with these thoughts and these feelings of, I'm so mad at myself. Have you ever been mad at yourself? You ever just been ashamed of yourself, embarrassed by yourself, and you're like, ugh. I remember one time a guest speaker came to preach here, and um, he was, I admired him. He was like one of these heroes of a pastor preacher, and I was so nervous 
that when I got in front of him to talk, I was tripping over my words and I was like not making sense. Then I, for some reason, I oddly started telling a story about my mom and he's literally getting ready to preach and he's like, that's cool, your mom's great. Um, I gotta focus on my sermon. I was like, oh yeah, 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 yes sir, yes sir. You know, and I'm backing away. And then literally the entire sermon, I'm just overplaying that conversation in my head and I'm like, why did I come across like an idiot? Have you ever been there before? Have you ever just second guessed everything you said, did, done? And, and you're in this chamber of your mind and your heart and you're like that gift where you're hitting yourself over and over and over and you're torturing yourself. And you might go, well, Paul, that's not like torture. I'm not like, I'm not stretched out like Paul the apostle, but you're beating yourself up. You're beating yourself up on the inside and you don't get better by beating yourself up. You don't become a better man of God, better woman of God by torturing yourself for the mistakes you've made or the way you could have done things better. Even one time I, I got done preaching after a service and it was a big conference, big service. And y'all, I preached exactly what God had spoken to me to preach, but I walked off this stage and I'm shaking hands, praying for people. And I finally kind of get my way back to my office. And when I got to the office, I just collapsed on the floor. And I was like, that was the worst sermon I've ever preached. I am a loser. Nobody's coming back to church after that. And I was literally convinced that I had failed God, that I had failed, that my sermon was not good and that I'd ruined the church and it was all over and God's done with me. And Ashley comes in. She's like, Paul, get up. And I was like, I can't get up. I'm not worthy to get up. She's like, we got chips and queso. The, the family's eating. I was like, I'm not worthy of chips and queso. I'm, I'm so, oh, I'm so... If I could just go back and I could fix some points and change some stories and if I wouldn't have said this and I, I didn't mean to say that. And I know I'm preaching to people who've never felt like this before. You've never had moments where you shoulda, coulda, woulda done something. How many of y'all have ever been there before where you're like, ah. And I'm giving you a very shallow moment, very vain moment. You're like, I've done some worse stuff than preach a bad sermon. But here's what I'm trying to say is, there I was on the floor, and I've been on the floor for other things too, but I've been there, I've been there, so dis disappointed in myself, discouraged, and yet my Father in heaven is not like, good, this is so good for you, this is what I want for you, I want you to beat yourself up today, I'm so pleased that my children are beating themselves up today. No, my Father in heaven is going, stop. You're a child of God. Stop torturing yourself, sir. Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee for one person. When you read Mark chapter 5, there's a man, he's, with a, he's living with a tortured soul. He's possessed by so many demons, he literally calls himself legion, which was the, the term for a Roman uh, military unit of a thousand soldiers. He says, I'm possessed with legion, for, the, for there were many demons inside this man. And, and the demons caused him to cut himself. So every day he would cut himself to make himself feel less pain, which is so odd to feel less pain. You hurt yourself more. And this is happening right now all over the world. People cutting themselves to try to feel less pain. And, and, and there's this deranged, tortured soul. And he doesn't live with his family or his friends he lives in the graveyard among the tombs. He talks to himself. He shouts at himself. 
And I just imagine like that gift that you're watching of the man hitting himself in the head, Jim Carrey hitting himself in the head, except for this man is genuinely doing that. He's hurting himself. And Jesus says, evil spirits come out of this man right now. And when Jesus spoke, the torturing spirits left the man. And by the end of the story in Mark 6, it says the man was sitting with his right mind. He was at peace with himself. You don't make yourself better by hating yourself more. You don't make yourself a better person by putting yourself down. You don't make yourself a better husband, better wife, better mom, better dad, better whatever season of life you're in by rehearsing your mistakes. At once, his mind was at peace. He was winning on the end. If you can win in here, you can begin to win out there. Three torturous spirits that are coming for so many of us. Three torturous thoughts that are coming for you. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Shoulda. Everybody say, shoulda, coulda, woulda. So many of us are living in the land of shoulda, and we're living in the land of woulda. I would have done this if I just would have followed the instructions. If I just listened to what they said. I can imagine Paul the apostle, while he's getting tortured in Jerusalem, he might be replaying the chapter before when everybody told him, don't go to Jerusalem. It's not going to be good. He was warned by multiple people. He was warned by multiple people, don't go there. And here he is. He's stretched out. He's getting beat up. And I bet somewhere in the back of his mind, he's thinking, why didn't I listen to them? <laughs> why didn't I listen? Have you ever thought that before? Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I follow? Why, why did I do that? Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Paul was almost beaten to death until he decided to stop the torture. In Acts 22, Paul would shout out his citizenship, who he belonged to. And in that moment, the torture and the beating would stop. I want to give us real quickly seven ways to beat the enemy that's beating you. Seven ways to stop the torture that's going on in your mind and in your heart. Number one, recognize the torture tactics. Recognize the torture tactics. God has blessed us with self-awareness. Now, not all of us are using that blessing to the way that we should. But self-awareness is being able to spot something that's happening in your life that's not good. To go, you know what, I have been re replaying things in my mind that is just, it's not good for me, it's negative. I've been rehearsing, I've been listening to lies. I need to spot, I need to recognize the torture tactics. You have the power to stop it if you can spot it. But the devil is sneaky, right? He sneaks in with thoughts that you might think, well, that's from God. Like God's, God's trying, me to, trying to get me to just dwell on my mistakes so I can become a better person. No, that's, that's not how God works. God doesn't make us better by going, I need you to think for a long time how stupid you were on this. <laughs> and some of us are going, well, that kinda, that's the dad I grew up with. That's not the father in heaven that loves you. Now, you might have grown up with someone who said, you need to think for the next six. You know, the Bible doesn't say you have to repent a hundred times before God will forgive you of a sin. The Bible says just repent. How many times do I have to repent of a sin to be forgiven of a sin? Just once. And yet we live in our life that, well, I know he forgave me, but I just think he really wants me to carry some shame for a long time. Like, I think... I think he wants to teach me a lesson by just making me feel worthless for the next six weeks before I truly am forgiven. 
No, you need to receive forgiveness today. So what are some thoughts that are torture tactics that the enemy uses? And I think some of these thoughts are, are, are coming after all of us. Will I ever be good enough? I've asked that question as a preacher. I've asked that question in so many categories of my life. Will I ever be good enough at this? Will I ever be good enough for so-and-so? If only I could be more like him. If only I could be more like her. If only I had their life, it would be so much easier. If I had what they had, if I, if I was more like him, then people would like me. The only luck I have is bad luck. I hate everything about myself. I'm such a wreck. I'm a mess. Everything I touch just turns to, to junk. My life is a mess. I'm never going to change. I'm never going to get better. I can't forgive myself of the mistakes I've made. I'm so broken. Stop it. Stop listening to the torture tactics. If those thoughts have been messing with your mind, if you're sitting in church right now or watching online and all you keep replaying and rehearing and, and overanalyzing is, I shoulda, coulda, woulda. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good. I'm not. Ah, I can't forgive myself of that. I'll never get over this. People will never like me. Stop it. It's time to move past it. Number two, recognize how it affects your heart and mind negatively. It's not enough to just recognize the torture tactics. You've got to recognize how it's affecting you. I told you that the heart has four chambers. They say that people who live with constant worry actually die faster. That worry steals years of your life. Worry increases your blood pressure. Worry messes with the chambers of your heart. So maybe you're not living in the torture chamber of shame. Maybe you're living in the torture chamber of worry. Like you're like, it's not that I've made a lot of bad mistakes and I'm just rehearsing my mistakes. It's that I'm afraid about my future. I'm afraid they're gonna fire me. I'm afraid I won't have money next week. I'm afraid I won't be able to pay the bills. I'm afraid I'm gonna have to drop out of school. I'm afraid we're gonna have to pull our kids out of school. I'm afraid we won't be able to put food on the table. I'm afraid and I'm afraid and I'm afraid. And 80% of the things you're afraid about are never going to happen. 80% of the things you're worried about that might happen will never happen. Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a single cubit to your life? Who of you by worrying is becoming better with worry? Worry is killing you from the inside out. Worry is taking up space in your mind and it's time to serve an eviction notice to the terrorist that's been torturing you in your mind. It's time to say, hey, you know what? You've been messing with me for too long and I no longer have space for you in my apartment complex up here. You're done, and I'm inviting a new resident to come in called Peace in Jesus' name. Move into my life right now. Hello, peace. Hello, hope. Hello, joy. Goodbye, fear. Goodbye, terrorists. Goodbye, anxiety. Goodbye, worry about my finances. But here's what happens. If we're not spotting it, it starts affecting us. They, said that, they say that people who live with a tortured soul, they're more gloomy at work. They're more sad. They're more irritable around people. How many of y'all have been irritable around some people lately? You're like, Ugh, I just have a short fuse around some people. Maybe it's not them. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm irritable, not because everybody is so foolish, but because I'm so short fused and I'm projecting on them what's happening in me. Anytime someone judges you harshly, they're just projecting on you how much they've judged themselves. So if you're starting to feel like, whoa, why are they shaming me so much? 
It's because they're shaming themselves so much. They're living with a constant perfectionist mentality. And because they can't reach perfection, there is a tortured mind going on up here. And they are living with constant, oh, I'm so mad at myself. I didn't do it right. I didn't win that. I didn't get it right. If I could just go back and change this one thing, it would be perfect. No, it wouldn't. Because you would find something else that needs to be improved. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, which means that if you don't love yourself well, you won't love your neighbor well. So if I have a hatred towards me, and yet I boast in, I love everybody, I just have a problem with myself, you don't really love everybody that well if you're hating yourself a lot. If you look in the mirror and you're always going, gosh, I'm such a loser, I'm so ugly, I just, ah, I don't do it right, and I, I don't have what they have, stop it. Stop it and spot how it's affecting you. Spot how it's causing you to be angry, irritable, anxious, gloomy, sad. Number three, practice the subtle art of not giving a foothold in Jesus' name. Let's say that together. Practice the subtle art of not giving foothold in Jesus name. Ephesians 4 verse 27 says, don't give the devil a foothold. I need some help for a second. Pastor Ty, will you stand up here? And I want you to just stick your foot in front of me. Yeah. So let's imagine that I'm at the front door of my house. I'm trying to close the front door and I can't because Ty's foot is blocking the door from being shut. As long as his foot is there, I can't shut the door. And so many of us are living our lives, allowing the enemy to have a foothold in certain areas of our life. You know you have the power to say no. We feel like we've got to just welcome any feeling or emotion or thought. I just need to let it come into my life and just let it stay in my life. Just because a thought or a feeling comes doesn't mean you have to let it stay in your house. Now, if you left your front door open and the thought and feeling comes... Go ahead and open the back door and go, thought, goodbye. <laughs> Seriously. And this goes for temptation to sin. Like just because you're tempted doesn't mean you have to let the temptation move into the house with you. I'm just, I'm, the temptation has now become my roommate. I am roomies with my temptation. Stop. Dismiss the temptation. Well, Paul, you don't understand. I grew up with an abusive dad, and so I got anger issues. I punched the wall. I punched my car window. I've cracked it. I've, I've messed up my hand. You don't have to keep on hurting yourself and hurting your car and your house and your children just because you can let that anger leave your house today. Don't let the devil have a foothold, and don't let him move into your house. Ty, will you come back and put your foot right here? Okay. Now, I'm trying to shut the door, right? His foot's there. How do I, and by the way, Ephesians 4, 26, the verse right before, verse 27, deals with anger. It's, it's not dealing with temptation to sin. It's actually dealing with anger. And you go, well, I'm not an angry person <laughs> until someone cuts you off. We, like the enemy knows. He knows. Like he just comes and pokes until you get angry. And he comes, Right? And some of you might be angry at the president. Some of you might be angry at a governmental leader. Some of you might be angry at our country or angry at your spouse or angry at your children. You're like, oh, I'm so angry at them. Or some of you might be angry at yourself. 
and you go to bed, and the Bible says, don't let the sun go down. <laughs> and you go to sleep, and you never forgive them. And then you never forgive that organization, and you never forgive that church, you never forgive that pastor, you never forgive the president, and you just keep on letting it have its place, and it gets thicker and thicker, and now the anger is living in your house, and you're losing sleep, and your blood pressure is high, and you're having to pop your back every five minutes, and you're like cricking your neck. It's like, ah, I'm just, I'm so tight, I'm so wound up. Probably because the devil has a foothold. And as long as you let him stay there, he'll keep on taking residence. He'll keep on torturing your mind. And the anger turns to shame. Shame on you. Shame on you. Until you decide, you know what? I'm done with this. And I'm going to close the door. And every day, I'm going to go to bed and say, Lord, I forgive those who've hurt me, including myself and I receive your forgiveness, and I release your forgiveness. And Lord, tonight, I lay my head down on this pillow, and I thank you for the peace that passes all understanding. I thank you that I have the mind of Christ, and I take captive of every terrorist thought that's been torturing my mind, and I kick that terrorist out of my house. In Jesus' name. You have the power. We have the power to pray. Paul the Apostle says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about losing your job. Don't be anxious about losing salary. Don't be anxious about the economy. Don't be anxious about governmental situations. Don't be anxious about laws. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer, through prayer and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving displaces worry. Thanksgiving shuts the door. Some of y'all need to shut the front door on the devil in Jesus' name. I love just scaring you guys a little bit. You're like, what's he about to say? The subtle art of not giving the devil a foothold in Jesus' name. Everybody say, shut the front door. We're just letting too many things come into the house. And we've got to stop. We've got to stop it. This is what Paul said in Acts 22. Let's go back there. In verse 25, he made a decision to stop the torture. After they had literally beaten him, stretched his arms out, he's getting tortured in the inner torture chamber of the Roman centurions. As they're stretching him out, he says, is it even legal? <laughs> is it even legal for you to torture a Roman citizen? Don't you know I'm a citizen of an important empire? As soon as Paul declared his citizenship, the torture stopped. Ooh, I just felt the Holy Spirit just give a revelation to somebody. As soon as Paul declared his citizenship, the torture stopped. As soon as Paul declared his citizenship, the torture stopped. As soon as Paul declared who he was and who he belonged to, the torture stopped. Hey, devil, I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I am valuable. I am called. I am chosen. I am who he says I am. The devil has no authority over the children of God. As soon as Paul declared his citizenship, the torture stopped. I was watching my kids, and most of the time I always break up fights. Sometimes I just want to see what's going to happen. <laughs> you tell me once you raise five kids all under the age of eight how you handled every single situation. And to each his own, okay? But here, here I was recently, and I was, you know, we had already disciplined them a lot, and I was like, I'm just going to see how this one plays out. So they're in the middle of a scuffle. 
and the three boys, they're real close in age, Liam, Benny, and Mac. You know, it's eight, seven, four, and then Ellie is two. And they're in the middle of a scuffle. And I won't tell you which one, but you might guess, if you've been at Victory long enough, you kind of know a little bit about these kids. But um, in the middle of the, of the scuffle, two of the, the siblings were interrogating the other one. They were like, you took the toy. You took Buzz Lightyear. I know Buzz Lightyear's in, you know, they're interrogating. They're like, tell me where he is right now. You know, they're like tying his hand. They're getting ready to interrogate him and all this stuff. And finally, he takes the toy and goes, and whacks him. And um, y'all are like, you need to get control of your kids. I know, we're working on it. We're growing in it. They didn't go to bed angry. We all walked in forgiveness that night. But I was, it was kind of funny. It was kind of funny in that moment. There's moments that just make you laugh as a parent. You're like, oh. <laughs> They're gonna learn their lesson. They're gonna learn their lesson. But in that moment, they basically were saying, stop, stop. Stop, stop. And you gotta tell the devil to stop. You gotta tell yourself to stop. You gotta say no to yourself. No, I'm not gonna keep calling myself unworthy. I'm not gonna keep overanalyzing and replaying how I missed it. I don't make myself better by hating myself more. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If I don't love myself well, I'm not gonna love my neighbor well. If I don't learn to love the gaps in me, the flaws in me, the areas where God's still working in me, and I'm not saying you celebrate your weaknesses, I'm just saying stop making yourself feel terrible every single day of your life. Stop looking in the mirror and going, oh, I hate. No, no, that's when you look in the mirror and go, no. And number four, don't should on yourself anymore. Some of y'all have been shooting on yourself and shooting on others, and it is, it's torturing you. I am saying should, S-H-O-U-L-D. Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, there is no more shoulda, coulda, woulda for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I've got to accept that. Jesus is not looking down from heaven, shooting on me. He's not going, you should have done better. You should have known better. You should have become a better person. You should have been more like them. No, Jesus is going, I love you. I love you. I forgive you. I died for you. I rose from the dead for you. I've called you into my house. Come into the throne room of God with boldness in your hearts to receive grace in time of need. I don't know if that's scriptural, Paul. Yes, it's Hebrews 4, verse 16. You ask me, and I'll tell you all through the Bible. John 3, verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to should on the world, to condemn the world, but to save the world through his sacrifice on the cross, stop shooting on others. Paul the apostle could have been replaying what his friends warned him would happen. He could have been listening to that lie in his head. And you might go, well, it wasn't a lie, it was the truth. It was the truth, they warned him this would happen and here he is, he finds himself in exactly what they told him was gonna happen. So shouldn't he be replaying that? Shouldn't he, shouldn't you, shouldn't you have known better, honey? Shouldn't you have known better? You don't make a spouse better with should. You don't make a kid better with should. You don't make a nation better with should. America should know better. 
Our country should know better. These people, next generation should know better. You don't make a generation better by shooting on a generation. Now, I know you might think, what's he saying here? I'm saying shame, shame, shame. Shaming people never changed people. Jesus never changed human beings with shame. He wasn't going, I'm going to shame you into becoming the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's, that's oxymoron. That doesn't even make sense. That shame makes you better? No. Shame keeps you in a pattern of destructive behavior. Guilt and shame might seem similar, but there is a massive difference. Brene Brown says that shame is the intense, painful feeling or experience of believing that I am a flawed person, therefore I am unworthy of acceptance or belonging to anyone. Guilt says you've done something bad. Shame says you are bad. Guilt is about my do. Shame is about my who. The enemy knows that if he can convince you of shame and get you replaying those shameful feelings he will cause you to lose sight of your identity and isolate yourself from community because shame caused Adam and Eve to run from God, to hide from God, to escape the place they were supposed to be. Shame keeps people in the shadows, but grace brings people into healing. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the empowerment to win. Grace is the empowerment to have victory over sin, victory over shame. Are y'all with me this morning? Don't leave yet. Don't email me yet. Just email the Bible. If you don't like it, I'm preaching the word of God here. Shame separates me from the love of the Father. It's not that God has left me. It's that I've put shame between me and him. This is why the prodigal son had such a hard time at first convincing himself to go home. Because he was thinking, I should have known better. If only I would have listened to my father. Maybe I can be a slave in his house. Maybe I can be a servant. I don't even have to come inside the house. But as he got close to his father's house, his father's embrace showered over his shame and said, there is room for you. Kill the fatted calf. Get him a roam. Put a, put a ring on his finger. Bring this lost son of mine back into the house. He was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Our view of ourselves will determine whether or not we ever attack the giants that God is sending our way. David's ability to kill Goliath wasn't because he was strong on the outside, it's because he was strong on the inside. He had beat the enemy in here already, so he had the power to beat the enemy out there. I remember hearing this story about this little boy named Johnny, and he was with his sister Susie, and they went to their grandma's farm, and they were staying with their grandma for the whole summer, and, and grandma had a pet duck that lived out on her pond. Some of y'all might have heard this story. Well, Johnny had a slingshot, and he was practicing his slingshot outside. Grandma was in the house. Susie was washing dishes. And Johnny, uh, he's practicing with his slingshot, and he accidentally hits the duck. And the duck goes, it's a dead duck. So the duck dies because of Johnny's slingshot moment. And Susie watches as Johnny goes over and he hides the duck. He sticks the duck underneath like a bunch of leaves and kind of digs a hole and buries the duck. And Susie goes, I saw everything. And Johnny is like, what are you gonna do? And she goes, I'm gonna make you pay for this mistake. And he said, what do you, he said, just please don't tell grandma. Please don't tell grandma. I don't want her to know that I killed her duck. 
And she goes, I won't tell her as long as you do what I tell you to do. So for the rest of the summer, every time there was chores to be done in the house, grandma would say, Johnny, you do this, Susie, you do this. And Susie would say, actually, Johnny offered to do all the chores today, my chores and his chores. And grandma would say, is that right, Johnny? And Johnny would kind of keep his head down, look over at Susie, and she would say, remember the duck, remember the duck. And he'd say, that's right. He'd do her chores, his chores. This went on for weeks, for months. Every single time she would make him do her chores too. And she would say, remember the duck, remember the duck. In other words, she was keeping him in a tortured place because she kept reminding him of his mistakes. And a lot of us are living like this. We're paying for things over and over and over. We're living this way and we think that's the only way to change society. You can't change society with shame. You can't change someone who's confused about who they are, confused about their sexuality, confused about their, confused about their life, making terrible choices right now. You don't change them with shame. We can't change the next generation with shame. We can't change anybody with shame. Shame never fixed anybody. Shame just keeps people in a pattern of behavior of more self-destructive internal thoughts and people get better at covering things up with shame. So they live even more secret with their pain and their sin and their darkness. The only way is through forgiveness. And this is where the prodigal son story Jesus told, the father ran towards the shameful son. Instead of running away from him or punching him, the father ran and embraced the shameful, disgraced, utterly dejected prodigal son. And who wouldn't go into the house party? The older brother. Because he didn't know how to handle someone who killed the duck. Remember the duck. Remember how you did so many bad things. You're not worthy. The enemy will keep you outside the house with shame, but the father invites you into the house. Don't carry that shameful sentence any longer over yourself. It's time to move past the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Number five, remind yourself what God has done for you. When you look at Acts 22, while Paul is getting beat up by this crowd, he begins to share his testimony. He says, let me tell you what God did for me. I was a man addicted to religion. I was trained by Gamaliel. I grew up in a Pharisee's home. I knew the law backwards and forwards. I knew how to shame people into the temple. I knew how to condemn people for their sins. Paul said, I was such a legalistic person, and yet I thought I was close to God until Jesus showed up, and Jesus knocked me off my horse. And, and Paul begins to tell him, he says, y'all, I killed people in the name of God. I was there when Stephen was martyred. I was a part of the stoning. And then Paul begins to say, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be standing here today. How many of y'all, the grace of God has gotten you where you are today. You wouldn't be standing where you are if it wasn't for his grace. Revelation 12, 11 says, we overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Remind yourself 
what God has done for you. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus on the cross, if it wasn't for what Jesus, and y'all, every time we worship, we're reminding ourselves what God has done for us. How great is our God? Worthy is our God. Go ahead, take a moment to give him thanks today for where you are, for what he's brought you through, for how he paid for your sins, for how you're a forgiven man, you're a forgiven woman. You're rede- Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I heard someone the other day saying, you know, we should post our highlights on Instagram because, you know, listen, we just need to post our negative things that are going on because everybody's only posting their highlights. The reason I post my highlights is because I want to remember the good things. Like, we all know we got issues, you know? Like, we all know that none of us are perfect. None of us have perfect families. We all got moments. Like, if I only posted the moments that my kids are screaming, y'all would be like, I am unfollowing this guy. This is depressing to watch. This is sad. He's just posting all of his family fights every single day. Life is hard. But I like to post the baptisms of my kids. I like to post the worship moments in our house. I like to post the date nights. I like to, I like to remember the good things that God has done in my family. I like to go back over my highlight reel. Some of us have only been replaying negative memories. And we think, well, that's the way we become better. And I stay humble if I just think about all the bad things I've done and all the curse words I've said and all the terrible things that God wants me to just stay in a miserable place. No, he doesn't. He wants you to rehearse your victories. What has the Lord done for you? Psalm says, tell the next generation of the wonderful works and miracles of God in your family. Has God done some good things for you in the last year? Go ahead and write down your victories. Go ahead and keep score. You know, we're told in in 1 Corinthians 13, love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't keep score when it comes to keeping people's wrongs. I got a list of all the wrong things people have done to me. But the way that we went in the mind is we keep score of all the good things that God has done in us and through us. Remind the devil that he's not winning. Remind the devil that he doesn't have the final say. I want the band to come out. Number six, remind yourself who you are in Christ. Every time a negative thought comes, every time you start feeling like, I'm a loser. (laughs) I, I missed it. I am a big misser. I just miss it all, you know? I'm poor, I'm not making enough money. I'm never gonna be able to pay that. I'll never see that debt go away. Every time those negative thoughts come, remind yourself who you are and flip the script. If the script is saying something negative, you start speaking something biblical. I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that lives in me than he that's in this world. I am blessed coming in and blessed going out. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. God never forsakes me, never leaves me. I am loved. I am a child of God. I've been adopted into the family of God. He calls me valuable. He calls me chosen. I'm a royal priesthood. Come on, some of y'all need to tell them who you are. As soon as Paul told them, let me tell you who I am, the torture stopped. The torture will keep going until you tell them who you are. We're going to go into a time of worship here in just a second. But I'm just thinking that some of you right now are in a torture chamber. And the only way out of the torture chamber, the only way to win out here is to take authority in here. Romans 12 verse 1 says, be transformed out here by the renewing of in here. 
My inside determines my outside. If I can renew my mind, if I can flip the script, every time I'm hearing negative thoughts, shame on you, should have done this, could have done better, could have preached a better sermon, could have handled that situation better. Terrible person, Paul. Terrible human being. Every time the enemy comes with the shame game, every time the enemy comes with anxiety about the future, you're not going to make it. You're going to lose it. Every time, flip the script. Flip the script. Flip the script and begin to speak the word of God. Paul said, fix your thoughts on things that are praiseworthy and true. Fix your thoughts on things that are heavenly. Fix your thoughts on, on things that are going to lift your spirit up. Go from guilt to grace. Go from shame to a place of praise and worship to say, Lord, I thank you. The enemy runs when you declare your citizenship as a child of God. The enemy has no chance to beat you when you begin to declare your citizenship as the kingdom child of God that you are. And I was just thinking about this, that some of us, we've given ourselves a bad nickname. When I was in high school, people used to call me P. Diddy. That was a pretty cool name. It was a nickname. They call me P. Diddy because my initials were PDD. They were like, yo, Diddy, P. Diddy. And then some people call me Paul Wall. They were like, yo, Paul Wall. My dad used to call me Polly. I didn't always like that. Some people, when they were being bullies, they called me Pollyanna. I hated that nickname. But I started giving myself a nickname in college. I started giving myself multiple nicknames. I was like, yo, just call me PD, you know, Pete Dizzle. I had all kinds of different nicknames. I don't know, it's cheesy. But I think about how some of us have given ourselves a bad nickname and we've accepted it. We go, oh, that's just who I am. Just call me shameful Susan, you know? Loser Larry, whatever it is, poor Paul, pathetic Paul, whatever it is, like all these nicknames we give ourselves. What if you started giving yourself a better nickname? What if you started speaking God's word over your name? Amazing Ashley, forgiven Frank, redeemed Rebecca. Come on, holy Hannah. <laughs> You're like, holy Hannah? sounds like a Batman term, you know? But what if you started nicknaming yourself what God nicknames you? What if you just started calling yourself, I'm blessed, I'm forgiven, I'm valuable, I'm sincere. Some, some of you have questioned your authenticity because you're going, man, I've just walked through so much pain and people called me fake or whatever it is. Come back to what does God say about you? I was encouraging a pastor the other day and he just said, man, I just need some encouragement because I just walked through like, crazy storm and people saying all kinds of bad stuff about me. He said, I just need to talk to another pastor. I said, let me tell you what I say over myself when I'm feeling the same way. I said, you are sincere. You're authentic. You love God. I've seen you. I've seen you pray. You're a good dad. You're a great husband. You're doing a great work. Don't come down, Nehemiah. You're doing a great work on the wall. Don't you come down. You keep building what God's called you to build. Did they call you? Did they qualify you? Then don't let them uncall you. Don't let them disqualify you. Did God anoint you? Then listen to what God has to say about you. And some of us have only been rehearsing what everyone else is saying. And we got to come back to what is God saying? Here's my final point right here. Number seven, speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. Every time anxiety starts to torture your mind, Paul's getting stretched out. Some of you are being stretched right now financially. 
and you're anxious. You're being stretched right now in your family and it's causing you to feel kind of frustrated, maybe angry. There's a little bit of a torture chamber happening in your mind right now, in your heart. But if you will speak the name of Jesus, 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 Jesus for my family, Jesus for my finances, Jesus for my schooling, Jesus for my friends, Jesus for that situation that's out of my control, Jesus for him, Jesus for her, Jesus for them, Jesus for my enemies, Jesus for the accusers, Jesus for the crowd, Jesus for the pastor, Jesus for the children, Jesus for the, for the woman, whatever it is, just speak the name of Jesus. Instead of calling them names, instead of saying all kinds of, listen, you could curse the darkness or you can light a fire in the darkness. You could speak the name of Jesus when it's dark. Speak Jesus over America. Speak Jesus over our country. Speak Jesus over our governmental leaders. Speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. I remember I was in uh, Dominican Republic. We're on a mission trip. This was 2013. Final night. We had seen thousands of people get saved. Hundreds of people got healed. And God did miraculous things. The whole week was just spectacular what God was doing. On our final night, we're, we're going to the beach to have a worship service. And on the way there, we're walking next to this cliff area. And there was like a 30 to 40 foot cliff drop. And I was ahead of the team, about a mile ahead of the team. The team was taking their time and I was walking fast. And um, I'm walking with this guy named Josh, who was a senior in high school. So I was like four years older than him, five years older than him. And then Jill Stafford, Pastor Jill, a pastor here on staff, the three of us were walking. And um, Ashley was back with the rest of the team. She was, you know, bringing up the rest of the team. And as we're getting closer to the beach, here we are on next to the cliff. I'm carrying my backpack. I got my laptop in there. I've got all of our passports for our team. And I've got the extra cash they gave us in case any emergency that we need to use the cash for, for the team. So I've got this bag of cash, passports, laptop. All of a sudden, these two robbers come up and they pulled me and Josh away from Jill and they, they start shouting at us, dinero, dinero, stupid americano, dinero, dinero. And I, like, I didn't realize what was happening. They were trying to rob us. And so in my mind, I'm like, what do I do? They start punching us. They start scratching, punching, pulling our shirts. And so I start punching back. I'm punching them back. They start trying to throw me off the cliff. I start trying to throw them off the cliff. <laughs> don't, don't, listen, you might do the same thing if you were in my shoes. <laughs> Here I am, and I'm literally, we're fighting for our lives. And I'm thinking, like, this might be the end. They're fighting us, we're fighting. He goes, I got a gun, man, I got a gun, you know. He starts to pull his gun out. And Jill, right as this guy's pulling his gun out, and I'm thinking he's gonna kill us right there, Jill just screams, Jesus! When she shouted Jesus, these two guys, and she shouted loud, like, it wasn't like a Jesus. It was exactly how I just shouted. She shouted at the top of her lungs. When she did that, these two guys' eyes went, and they backed up and they just started running. They started running. I was like, that's right, that's right. You run away from us. <laughs> and Josh and I, we were like, what just happened? And Jill said, they ran at the name of Jesus. The enemy flees at the name of Jesus. They must have seen angels. They must have seen God standing behind us. You can fight all day, flesh and blood, but the only way you're gonna beat the enemy that's beating you is when you start speaking the name of Jesus. I want you to stand your feet all over this place. I wanna invite everyone in the room that's in the middle of a battle in your mind. You are in a mental, emotional battle going on. The enemy has been torturing you 
with thoughts, with feelings, whether it's shame, anxiety, fear, discouragement, disappointment. And the enemy has been trying to get in your head. He's been trying to get in your heart. And I just wanna pray for people that just need to walk in victory in your mind. You need a victory on this Labor Day weekend. You need a victory in your mind and in your heart. All over this room, would you bow your heads, close your eyes if you're here today and you say, I need to walk in victory over some thoughts that have been torturing me, some feeling, it's, it's like the enemy has just been messing with me. Yeah, some of y'all are already coming down to the altar right now. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hand up all over this room. You're in the middle of a battle right now for your mind, heart, on the back road to the front row. God's talking to you. Today is your day to start winning. I want you to just leave your seat. Come and find a place at this altar. Come with your spouse if you want to. Come by yourself. Come with your roommate. Come with your friends. That today is a day that you are declaring war on the enemy. That you are going to beat the devil for all the beating that he's been doing in your mind. It's time to stop the torture. It's time to stop the torture. It's time to stop the interrogation. Every time the enemy comes questioning, who are you? You say, I'm a child of God. That's who I am. Who do you think you are? I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. I am restored. I am reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for my sins. So I don't have to work for my salvation because the finished work of Christ on the cross has paid the price for me. And today is a new day. Temptation doesn't have to win any longer. Temptation doesn't have to torture you any longer. Sin doesn't have to torture. You can declare war on sin today to say, I'm gonna start winning in my mind. I'm gonna start winning in my heart. If you're here today and you say, man, I just need to get right with God. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to repent of my sins. Come down today. Today's a new day. It's a fresh start. And y'all, let's just worship. Let's just begin to sing all over this room and online. Let's just shout Jesus. Jesus. Jesus for your family. Jesus in the darkness. Jesus for your mind. Jesus for your marriage. Jesus for your family. You are forgiven in you are loved in Jesus' name. You're a mighty man of God. You're victorious. You're not alone. You're not forsaken. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He loves you. He's for you. He's with you. He's not forsaken you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to get through this. Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. You have the Holy name of Jesus. 
altars We shout your name And shout Jesus from I was one time watching a movie with Ashley and there was a narrator's voice at the beginning of the movie and every now and then his voice would come back in in the middle and at the end and I kept thinking that voice sounds so familiar whose voice is that whose voice is that and I couldn't I I didn't want to look it up because I wanted to watch the whole movie so I wasn't going to look it up on my phone whose voice this is and finally at the end I go I think that's Morgan Freeman's voice and sure enough the credits came up narrator Morgan Freeman As we were just praying, I felt like the Lord said, I'm bringing a new narrator to the movie in your life. Some of you have had the wrong voice describing what's going on, and it's been the voice of the accuser. It's been the voice of, like, it's just not been a good voice. There's been a bad voice narrating the movie of your life. And I hear the Lord saying, I'm changing the narrator. There's going to be a narrator of grace. I'm rewriting how you see your story. You saw it as something bad, but I'm gonna use all the pain that you walk through for a purpose. There's gonna be a testimony. This is for the grace of God. This is for the glory of God. God's going to begin to rewire some things that have been replaying in your mind where there's just been 
lots of worry and shame and fear and anger and and self-hatred, God says, I'm changing the narrator's voice. You're gonna start to see things through heaven's lens. Heaven is redeeming and renewing and transforming your mind and your heart to see that God is going to work all things together for good because he loves you and he's not finished with you and he's given you victory and you're not a victim. You're a victor in Jesus' name. Just pray this with me. Say, say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Just for a moment, put your hand on your heart and and maybe one hand on your mind too. And just say, Jesus, thank you for healing my mind, my heart. I'm all yours. I repent and I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace, your peace, your hope, your life. You died on the cross for my sin, my sickness, my shame. You rose from the dead and you've given me life. So Jesus, I'm all yours. Renew my mind, renew my heart. Help me to see what you see in me. I'm all yours, God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you. God loves you.